Okay, I give up. This is the cold open. Welcome to Cross Training. Where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. We are your hosts, your holy heretics, if you will. Ooh, I like that, actually. Alliteration is the key. <laughs> Alliteration makes everything sound better. Because honestly, so many people would agree with that. True. Holy Why do I listen to these heretics? I mean, the it, sanctified sinners. I, I hate, I hate to tell you. the stupid lines like these, man. I'll, I'll let you guys know if you're listening, listeners elects, you're probably already a heretic yourself if you've listened this far already into season two. All? So, I mean. Aren't we all. Wow. <laughs> wow. But anyway, I'm Matthew Thompson. I'm Tanner Higgins. I'm Mason Simmons. I'm John Duncan. He's back. He's back. I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, we've we've been away for a while. Uh, to the listener, we've we've been away for like a what one release cycle, I think. Yeah, but you had your PSA announcement thing. Yeah, but for us. Goodness, it's been like a month and a half. Yeah, and Mason, <laughs> Mason literally came back from the dead. So, I mean, he's yeah. alive and well. We recorded stuff in advance, and then we just, life got in the way, which yeah. that's already been addressed, so it's whatever. But so that just, contract you guys may decide to replace him is just kind of it's not worrying about it? Sh- sorry. What? <laughs> so one of these papers is... <laughs> Mason, that's actually why you're here. <laughs> I knew it was too good to be true. That's why we let let you have the comfy chair. You're only going to suffer emotionally. We we can't allow it physically. No, but we we have all come together today for the marriage. We're talking about something intense. Hell. We're we're talking about hell, which the heads up was given, uh, again, already in that little little mini-sode that uh, launched last fortnight. But we're going to be talking about hell. And this is something that um, I'm sure y'all have been taking great deliberation over this this concept and how to talk about it and the view that you're uh, going to be talking about. This is probably going to be a, a two-episode thing. I doubt that we're going to mm-hmm. fit everything in just one go-around. Good luck. Uh, but hell is a very important topic uh, because we believe that – well, I say believe with air quotes, but we'll get into that <laughs> – that hell is a place that people are going to go. And that's, I mean, that's a tragedy. It's a result of the fall, and it's not something that should be taken lightly. And while the way that we tackle pretty much all theological concepts, both lighthearted and not lighthearted, we, we, in, we interject some humor. We're going to have fun yeah. talking about this. I don't doubt for a second that we're not going to have plenty of laughs while talking about hell of all things. Yeah. But I just want to preface, be like, th- this is something intense. This is something that we've, uh, we've prayed and meditated over for quite a while since it's been a while since we've uh, recorded last, and we've known that whole time that we're going to be doing this. Even episode. when we started season two, we kind of had yeah. an idea that this is a conversation that we would like to have, yeah. but how do you approach it? Yeah. So what better subject to have the season finale over than hell? We're either going to crash and burn or we're going to have a <laughs> yeah. No. Well, depends. But no, I, I told I totally agree because this is no joking matter. Because I mean, no matter what kind of viewpoint that we have here, I mean, we all picked a a, a section of an idea of a, of a of a traditional view of hell or whatever view of hell, and we're going to kind of present it in a I don't want to say like a a, a platform trying to defend it, but more of like we're going to talk about it and discuss about it. Yeah. But the thing is, though, that each one of us here does believe that hell does exist to an extent, that there is a separation from God of eternity. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, this is not to be taken lightly, but yet, just like Matthew said, there will be interjoking because, I mean, who wants to talk about H-E double hockey sticks and just be moaning and depressed the whole time talking about people going and dying in hell all the time? So, yeah. Yeah, and I'd like to offer some food for thought to the individual out there, the listener-elect, 
that might be a little confused right now because I think it's been said already in this in this recording uh, that we're going to be talking about four different views of hell. Yes. And if I haven't said that yet, well, yeah. there you go. We're going to be talking about four different biblical views of hell. Mm-hmm. And there's probably some people listening right now that are like, hold up. What do you mean four views? What, what does that mean? But Sunday school only showed me one. That seems to be the general understanding. I think it's safe to say that most people are going to be ascribing to the view of hell that Mason is going to be talking about in our next episode. This episode is going to get real wonky because <laughs> yeah. myself and you, Tanner, yeah. our views that we're bringing in, not not our as in the, yeah, yeah, let's no, The no, caveat no, is, no, no, hold no, up. No, 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 no. They 100% believe this. Well, yeah. Mason. I'm converted. Mason. I'm converted. No. I have broken torches in the car for a reason. Okay. It's going to get pretty stinking goofy. And you might be listening to it thinking, this this is ridiculous. Like, th- this is heresy. And hey, maybe it is. I don't know. But let me well, let me offer just a small, a short like primer on why is hell such a big deal to you? Yeah. So I want y'all to give me a, a quick guess, Mason. You're not allowed since we've had this discussion already. How many times the word hell shows up in this Bible right here? This the CSV Bible. The word hell. How many times does it show up in the whole thing? Like, you mean like the, the meaning hell or the no word the hell? word hell the word hell like wow. wow. Probably not much, right? 64. 32. 32 times. And in Mason's Bible, which is a KJV, it shows up 52, 57. 57 uh, sounds yeah, right. Yeah, it was one of that. I had looked up a different word, so I'm on that right now. Yeah. Uh, the definition of the one I have pulled up right now, I'd have to go different ways, 31. Um, okay, well, that, yeah, the that's... one I'll be using later. Yeah. But yes, I think the actual. But it shows up more in the KJV. Yeah, and the reason for that is because Sheol in the Old Testament is translated as hell multiple times in the KJV. But I say this because hell is a very popular topic in especially Southern American Christianity, but American Christianity as well. And I'm sure it's touched on quite a bit uh, throughout the world. But I can only speak for myself as a Southern American Christian. Hellfire, brimstone revivals. It was something I grew up on. It's uh, like. Hell is beaten into your brain because, you know, you got to get safe, get your fire insurance, all that good stuff. But hell is not talked about that much in Scripture. Not enough to have a 100% this is the truth, no, uh, no debate view of hell. And there are four popular, and I say popular again with air quotes because it is a fiercely debated topic. There are four popular biblically supported views of hell, all of which we're going to discuss over time. And I just want you to keep in mind, dear listener, while you listen to ones that you don't agree with, think about what it means that hell is not talked about that much in Scripture. Think about what the mission of Scripture is. What is the purpose of Scripture? To show you the character of God. Its purpose is not to tell you what hell is. Hell is mentioned in there. And you can, you can make some, through some deductive reasoning, through some uh, inference while you're reading it, you can, you can take a good guess at what hell is, about what cosmic punishment might occur after you pass from this mortal plane but it is not spelled out in black white and red what hell is or isn't it's not like uh saving grace is like through faith yeah you are justified you know so i mean by belief so i mean it's not like the salvation plan is pretty clear cut and dry yeah but it's basically saying anything apart from christ is this so anything apart from christ is destruction no matter if it's uh 
purgatory, no matter if it's eternal conscious torment, mm-hmm. no matter if it's universalism, there's some kind Way of separation. It, well, I mean, <laughs> no, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bullet point. But you know? to, yeah. to put a period at the end of the <clears throat> sentence, um, the few times, relatively speaking, that hell does show up in the Bible, keep in mind, the word hell literally didn't exist until about 750 AD, and it was used as a Nordic uh, term for the punishing afterlife. Hell is a Norse property by origin, and we co-opted it to describe uh, hell as we understand it in the Bible. The word hell is used in substitution for several different places, Sheol being the main one, or the only one in the Old Testament, and multiple times when Jesus' name drops different places. But hell is used in Jesus' language for several different words. Like, it's not a one-to-one. It's used multiple times when he's uh, referring to... um, Gehenna, thank you. Why? The one time I forget that word. Uh, when he's referencing Gehenna, which was basically a, a, a flaming garbage pit that existed in, in the, the world. I like saw it. it was a physical place. Yeah, Tanner's actually seen it. Um, he used it. Wow. Tanner, you've been to hell? <laughs> yes. And back. <laughs> hell is used in place of Jesus using the term Hades, which, by the way, is Hades a- is not a place. Hades is the Greek god of the underworld. So take that for what Wordplay for the Greek yeah. Uh, mythos, yeah. And it's wow. also used in place of Jesus saying Tartarus, which is the bottom rung of the underworld of which Hades is in charge of. Basically, I want to just make sure it's absolutely clear to the listener. The word hell does not <laughs> exist in the Bible. It did not exist in the original text, and it wasn't even a word until 750 A.D. Hmm. So take, the, take those pearls that you're clutching because you're scared to hear of things that aren't <laughs> conscious torment. Throw them in the trash and open up your mind. Because it's time for cross training. So yeah, you did definitely uh, open up by saying, you know, we're gonna this this first episode is going to be uh, the very weird ones of the four. So there's four views, and like this is one reason why, since it's not clear cut and dry of what exactly hell is or what it is, separation from God, what does that look like? That's why you get four different views uh, that are kind of either coincide with each other or they kind of relate a little bit to each other or they're completely separate from each other so that's why like it's not clear cut and dry that's why you have some uh, um, strange uh, perspectives of what view hell uh, of hell is so this one this first episode we're gonna be talking about universalism and purgatory so we're gonna get a little catholic here so go ahead and get your uh, uh, your wafer and your wine and we're gonna be sitting down talking about the old pope and all that stuff so buckle your seats Buckle your belts. Buckle your seat belts. Buckle your seat belts. Let's get ready for a ride. Yeah, that's going to be so rough. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. So uh, is what you did your study over, is it just purgatory or is it hell and purgatory? Because I'm familiar with hell and purgatory being a thing. So, yes, purgatory, I mean, the sense of purgatory is it's kind of separate from hell, but yet they go hand in hand together almost. Uh, because it, you're kind of right, exactly. The the hell conversation is uh, kind of m- misunderstood in purgatory. We automatically think, especially with the being reformed and being in the Protestant camp, we automatically think that purgatory is a viewpoint of hell. So uh, the big question when it comes to purgatory, we think about that there's torturing, and there is torturing in this viewpoint, and there is some form of penance being done. So the big question to a theological dilemma, and I want you guys to answer this question, uh, is that how can someone who dies in a state of grace, because when we are saved by grace through faith, correct? This is a statement of faith. If we are saved uh, and we die in a state of grace, but yet we still lack perfectness because we are still in the flesh, how can we be made fit for heaven? 
How can we behold God's glory even if we are still in a state of sin, sin, sinfulness, but yet still covered by grace? Because that's the big dilemma that is answered with the purgatory answer. So, I mean, to be honest, when that question is arised, I mean, yeah, you see all through the scripture, I mean, Moses, he couldn't even behold God's glory, yeah. that he had to turn away. And you see all this time that all through a, a pattern that people couldn't enter the Holy of Holies because they were unclean, they were unholy, and they can't be in the presence of God. So, I mean, it clearly states here, if we are saved by grace, but yet we are still unclean and filthy, that how can we enter into a state of righteousness before a holy God? So that's the dilemma. That's the theological question that is presented before the whole purgatory uh, statement of response to that. So what, what's y'all's uh, initial answers? Just to let you guys know, I'm not a guy that believes in purgatory. This is complete. This it's a presentation. Is, it's a presentation. Uh, and, and if you want my honest opinion, uh, the biblical backing behind purgatory is extremely weak. Yeah. Very thin, very watery, watered down. But what, what's y'all's uh, viewpoint on that theological dilemma? I mean, I think that grace is so supremely effective, so maximally effective, that sure, when we die, we do die as one who has been in the flesh and tempted by sin and in an environment of it. But when Scripture says that by grace you have been saved, that doesn't leave any room for me to believe that we're anything but saved. And what would save imply? It would say that it would imply that you were saved from something and mm -hmm. that something is always the consequence that we find especially in the new testament that jesus gives of you know straight shot into episode two here uh consumption in hell eternally yeah so um i think that yeah we're saved from that there's no room to think that we're anything but conclusively given straight to the lord in heaven if we are saved by him because he wouldn't have used the word saved there yeah it's pretty it's pretty an, an objective statement of saved right. what do y'all think i'm gonna have to uh ask you to restate the question how can someone who dies in a state of grace but still be less than perfect when they die, sinful still, uh, be made fit for heaven? At the risk of giving, like, the, the obvious answer that I'm not supposed to say because it's so obvious, like, is that not the purpose of the blood of the cross? Oh, 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 shots fired. <laughs> it's, I agree, I agree. And this is where I say, like, if that's the case... Mm -hmm. then Christ didn't complete his job. Exactly. Yeah, like if, the, if this dilemma, if this question is correct, like, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a statement of like, yeah, it didn't work, then it's like, well, what's the point of Christ even dying here? So exactly, we have to understand what purgatory is in, in the statement of what purgatory is. Purgatory is not a dividing line. There's a lot of misconceptions that the Protestants, we Protestants have of purgatory. We automatically think that it's a place of hell. You pray people out of hell. You can pay penance. That's why the Reformation happened, because money was being abused and people were getting rich off of praying people out of hell. You know, that's the thing. But the misconception is that it's not a dividing line between heaven and hell, that all souls in purgatory, all souls in purgatory go to heaven eventually, okay? It's basically a holding place for people that will eventually go to heaven, but yet there's no sin in purgatory, so there's no place for furthering or tainting the meat for further consumption for God's glory, okay? So it's basically a holding place, and the word purgatory, purge, is to purge sin. So it's a place to basically purge sin from the soul of that individual so they can behold God's glory eventually. Uh, so uh, purgatory, it's not a second chance. It's not a place where, you know, man, I'll die, and when I go to purgatory, you know, then it is, you know. And so it's based on the soul's condition at the moment of death. So when they die, the soul's condition 
there they would be determined either they're going to be in purgatory or they're going to go straight to hell. Uh, and so the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they do recognize deathbed confessions. Uh, and this is where, like, I was doing some research about this in, like, last rites. I think, you know, I always assumed that last rites was like, okay, someone passed away, a Catholic uh, priest would come in, and if you're dead, then you can do your little uh, cross thing and say, okay, you're dead. I don't know if you're a Christian, but we, we prayed you back into heaven. Last rites is basically is a prayer of atonement when the individual is still alive and alert and awake and to understand what it is. So if they're dead, they can't do the last rites. They still have to be awake. Uh, so the acceptance of repentance or atonement uh, doesn't mean that the sinner gets out of jail free card, but purgatory is the furthering process of sanctification that should have started while on earth. So I guess I'm going to have to ask, where is this paper thin, paper thin, paper thin scriptural backing for that? Okay, so so purgatory, the down and dirty of this is that it's a further sanctification for the soul to, to reach God. So let me get some. Let me get you some some. This is one reason why I think it's good to go. Where did this thought come from? You said that hell, the word, the term hell was originally coined in like the 1700s, right? Uh, hell, seven hundred fifty A.D. So it's A.D. So I mean, yeah, seven hundred. You know, around the seven hundreds A.D. So, uh, so the origin of this doctrine, people will argue that the doctrine of purgatory isn't written in Scripture. You know, the the idea, the 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 premise of purgatory isn't written in Scripture. Well, that's also true. You know, it, the idea of purgatory is not written in Scripture anywhere. But you know, Trinity is not in Scripture either. Nor is. Uh, uh, the incarnation. What about Satan and him falling from heaven? That's not in Scripture either. So I mean, uh, so I mean, purgatory's got some weight to it as well. So what do y'all think about that? That's an answer for that uh, is a somewhere. Fair statement. What do y'all think? I mean, I think that those three things that you said are not in Scripture. Absolutely in Scripture. It doesn't have to be boiled down to one verse, cut clear, for you to say that it's in Scripture. I mean, you can say that thematically things are inferred. Well, yeah, yeah. I was about to say like it's correctly. implied in Scripture. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Scripture's talking about the three triune natures of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not contradicting itself in how it's describing those things. Of course it's in Scripture. Like, I don't know. Purgatory, on the other hand. Is it implied? Straight up and down, not in there. Okay. Look, not implied, not in there, period. And maybe that's just my ignorance showing here. I'm sure that you have some information for us. So the understanding of the doctrine of purgatory really shows up around on the scene around 8th century AD. Right. So I mean, it's around the same time that hell really uh, arrives on the scene uh, when it comes to English language, the English language. So this comes around uh, a, a dude named Bede, and, and a very orthodox guy, uh, and he basically has a couple of visions while he's sick about God shows him apparently uh, he goes takes him and shows him hell, heaven, and a place of intermediacy. Uh, where people go to be judged and basically there is some torturing there and there's a place of purification before entering into the presence of God. So it's basically this dude Bede, he's a monk, he gets sick and has a couple of visions from God. Um, so, I mean, to me, that kind of shows a little like, uh, what is this? Is this like a Joseph Smith thing? We're already on shaky ground. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know about this. So Bede's theology accepts the hope of salvation to even the serious sinner. So, I mean, I agree with this. I mean, this is I mean, this is a Protestant acceptance as well. It's like, you know, whoever. You know, it doesn't matter who the heck you are, if you're uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or uh, Mother Teresa, if you're a sinner or a saint, you still get the acceptance and the, the ability to be in the presence of God. So as long as you contend to three things, th this is where it comes into play of, of where 
purgatory and the idea of last rites and whatever. So to become a Christian and to, to, to become in the presence of God, there's three things you got to do. Okay. First thing we can agree on is confess the sins, right? That's the first thing that we got to do. That's the first thing. Agreed. Okay. Okay. Two, take sacrament. So take signs to do like the, 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 uh, the wafer. Yeah, communion? communion. Yeah, communion and oh, yeah. all that stuff. That's super important. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. the charades you were pulling there, I was like, sorry. What's happening? Uh, so the second thing you got to do to be in the presence of God is take part of communion, uh, and then the third process uh, is to take unto penance. To take unto penance. So this is what the, the priest does in the last rites: is that you go and you do these last three things to kind of get your step first step out of purgatory into the presence of God. So it's basically trying to get these steps closer to God. Um, so, and the last one, take in, in penance, is kind of where purgatory has this whole idea from. So purgatory is hope in comparison to eternal separation from God, unlike what the gates of hell and Dante's Inferno that says, abandon any hope who enter here. So I don't know if we want to talk about hell in that sense of Dante's Inferno because it was a fictional story that it was later applied to almost factual content but there's like basically saying there's nine circles of hell and the closer that you get uh down to the bottom the worse of a sinner you are there's like lust gluttony and uh uh, treachery and there's a place called limbo but just it's it's an interesting fictional uh uh, content so the two there's two reasons why people go to purgatory and you all can interject at any time i know this to me, this is just, it was just fascinating just learning all this stuff, so I don't know if y'all are just soaking right, can, this in. I can interject yeah. just for a second. I, would, I do wonder, like, how how much of, like, this purgatory uh, belief is really just, like, a cultural thing that stems from other religions, because purgatory is not a novel concept. A lot of uh, religions, mythological uh, pantheons, like, understand that purgatory is a thing, and I wonder if that's just kind of a, a bleed-in. Because, for instance, because I'm, I'm still thinking about, like, uh, Greek mythology, talking about, about yeah, yeah, because you had the fields of Asphodel, uh, where people go, and people can permanently be there uh, in, in Greek mythology, but you can also be sorted to go to Elysium, which is basically a Greek Valhalla, or mm-hmm. you can be demoted to Tartarus, which is, hey, the, the place that Jesus references. <laughs> so, take that for what it is i guess but i I do wonder if if that's some cultural bleed through that people Mm -hmm. were reading scripture like you know what yeah sure we can make that work like i wonder how much of it is that well i'm sure there's there's always going to be some kind of bleed through because i mean you you look within any kind of cultural reference or spiritual doctrinal reference and if there's any kind of movement or idea that kind of either goes against scripture or kind of yeah, a little weight, a little shaky. I think there's always going to be cultural influence to that, cultural bias, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it just, it really, it disappoints me. Not gonna lie, that like there is no implied purgatory in scripture. Well, let let me get there real quick. Oh, really? Let okay. me get there. Right. Let me get. Wait, it's more. there's more. So, and this is where I, I I want to present these two things, and then we will get into the the biblical backing of what they say. And like, obviously, I'm sure there's more existing scriptures behind this. If someone that is a, is a Catholic or someone that does believe in purgatory, let's just say that I just saw the major points of people like, okay, this is like a contending uh, front runner for a defend, defense for purgatory. So the first thing, there are two reasons why someone would go to purgatory. There's two reasons why purgatory exists. Is first, like I said before, sanctification. And the term purgatory, like I said, is it means to purge. So the main purpose is to finish sanctification so that we can be made holy, that no man can do while a part of sin so that we can see God. The second reason is where the Roman Catholic 
and the Protestant really came into head was the satisfaction issue. Is that satisfaction, the Roman Catholic rolled heavy on this during uh, the Reformation, uh, saying that the idea that we must undergo further punishment that satisfies the wrath and justice of God. Basically saying that your time in purgatory, you've sucked so bad at life and your sin is so bad that you got to endure some punishment before you see God. That basically, and this is my Protestant view, that the cross isn't enough. Right. And to me, that's, that's the thing. That, that boils down to the whole kit and caboodle. The cross is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Reformation, like I said, pointed out the flaws of the overemphasis on the side of this doctrine of the satisfaction, but they denied the doctrine altogether to eliminate the overemphasis. So, I mean, it's like they don't deny, they, they wanted to deny the whole doctrine. So it's like in the Roman Catholic view, the, the Protestants threw the baby out with the bathwater, basically. Yeah. So that, uh, those are the two reasons for purgatory. And basically, I mean, that's why people go to purgatory, to kind of satisfy and to get sanctified. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you've got a preponderance of evidence in the opposite direction. <laughs> Like, if you're going to look at Scripture and, like, believe even half of what it says, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, like, okay. I mean, this is a whole other episode, right, about, about like, atonement and how atonement yeah. theory works. Like, if you're PSA or if you're not, or, you know, that's a whole other episode, literally. Ransom theory? Um, no, okay. absolutely not. Uh, no Christus Victus, whatever. Anyways. Hey, so, okay. I, we'll, so, we'll talk about yeah, that later. Another episode. All right, yeah. I've said it, like, four times. But <laughs> I think that, obviously, you've got to... Provide some kind of juice to this. If you're there's one it. verse, man. First Wait, Peter. If there's one verse, then it's no. So here, here here's where the scripture backing is. <laughs> this is the scripture backing, and I want like I, I know that was kind of a, a, like that was, there's a lot of information, and that's one thing I've noticed about the Roman Catholics. It's like they have to make things difficult. Yep. Uh, the purgatory, it's so freaking difficult. They're, they're good at it doesn't make any sense. But here's their scriptural backing. First Peter chapter three verse nineteen. This is where Jesus died, and, and he stayed in the ground for three days. So he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. That's one of the, the, the key factors of like, okay, so when Jesus was in the ground for three days, that he went and preached to the, the, the sinners in, in prison. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. But that's like a, a nail in the coffin for purgatory right there, son, right there. That's extrapolation if I've ever seen it. Prison, purgatory, they both start with a P. I mean, it's got to it's gotta be got them, boys. Oh, we got them. They were in first Peter, which all starts with oh, a P. And th- three. <laughs> There's three. That's the, that's the magic number. Yeah, you just need three of them. It's a trinity of Ps. Trying signature of God. There we go. So there, Proof. there is a so so there there is a the, the, so Jesus preached to pur- preach in purgatory without actually dropping the name. So there is a, I guess a scene set up here. So in John chapter three, verse nineteen through twenty, I'm only going to read just you know a, a verse or two. But this is the logical implication of uh, of purgatory is that you know the judgment is based on this fact: God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear that sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, to others can see that they are doing what God wants. So the logical implication of purgatory is if sin is still a part of the flesh, which I I agree. I mean, yeah. that's that's part of being part of the flesh, right. is that then we can never fully behold the sun as darkness can behold the light. So it's basically, you know, how can we that are still part of flesh and still sin is a part of us, kind of go hand in hand with like how can light, well, how can darkness be in a part of light? Because it's basically darkness is absence of light. So the same thing with how can someone that's part of sin be in the presence of something that is holy. So that's the logical implication, quote unquote, uh, that would stand in defense of purgatory. 
I'm really glad that you opened with, hey, this is really weak. It's pretty weak. I told you. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So but obviously, it's, yeah. It so is. in First Corinthians chapter three, verse eleven through fifteen, verse and and to if to boil that down to verse fifteen, it says, "But if the worker is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames." So this shows a sanctifying experience, just like in purgatory, that there is a sanctifying time that the builder may or may not be burnt up, but the work will continue on. So there's a sanctifying experience, quote unquote, you know, air quotes there. Sure. Um, and there's other uh, others things that uh, would build up on the logical implication. But then you also have it mentioned even pre-Christ uh, with the Maccabees in, in the Apocrypha. The Maccabees, it makes mention that thus he made atonement for the dead that they might be freed from their sin. So you see uh, even, I think even uh, that there's people that pray for the dead or pray for that even within the Maccabean time era. Uh, so there you go. There, there's like a lot of the heavy hitters for the biblical or canonical or non-canonical evidence of purgatory. Yikes. Reread that thing in Maccabees again. So I'll, I'll, I'll read, I'll read the, uh, it's verses 43 through 45 of chapter 12 of Maccabees. So in doing this, he acted in a very excellent and noble way. And as much as he had the resurrection of the dead in view, if for if he were not expected the dead to rise again, it would have been useless and foolish to pray for them in death. But if he did this with a view to the splendid reward that awaits those who had gone to rest in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Thus he made atonement for the dead, that they might be freed from this sin. Hmm. I mean, it's not in Scripture, so I don't... Whoa. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> that wasn't taken out of the Bible until like the 1700s, man. You also have to right. take into consideration the Roman Catholic Church. This is still canon. Yeah, to the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's not canon in 21st century scripture, but come on. Right. Rewind just a couple hundred years. And I'm not really... Uh, no. And I it's still weak. Bait. Yeah, that, that's a bit of a bait. You know, I'm not willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I get your point. No, it's funny because um, I know that me saying that probably legitimately got some people angry. Like, did did he just defend the apocrypha? Like, yeah, I did. Yeah. I've already I've, listen. Yeah. I've already. I'll, I'll defend it. It's good literature. It's really good Jewish literature. Jesus studied it. Yeah, so it's not like it's anything that is anti-biblical. Uh, but I mean, the th- the thing is though, like you look through scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you have a lot of this is what they did, but that doesn't mean that's what you should do. So it, when I read that, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy was a noble man, but it doesn't say that God ordained for you to do that. So it's not like a clear-cut thing of like, okay, well, I can pray for someone's righteousness uh, while they're dead. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, so the purgatory thing, praying people out of hell, it's more of like praying for their sanctification to be closer to God. So there's a so there, there's your kind of your Protestant view of your clean, cut, and dry uh, uh, purgatory view. So do you think that that's almost like a—I'm taking a snippet of what you just said here, but— when you're saying that this is an example of something that they did, it's not necessarily right. Could you view that the same way almost that you view like, hey, prophets in the Old Testament, you know, great men of old, had several wives, had confidence. Exactly. That it's not condoning those things. It's saying that that was a cultural practice back then, and maybe it reveals their sin, and yet God's grace was greater that they were preserved into sainthood. But it's not saying we should emulate those things, right? Yes. Is this another example of that? Exactly. And that's what I think that, uh, that's what my view is. So, but, right. I mean, I'm not doing any kind, I mean, to be honest, we should take certain certain forms of penance 
and certain forms of sacrament, and we definitely should confess our sins. But yet, the ultimate reality is that I'm saved through faith by grace. So, by grace through faith, whatever. It's the same thing. I mean, they are interchangeable. So, So what y'all, so I mean, there it is. Purgatory, in a nutshell. Yerne, is that a pass, fail? I don't want to comment on it too much because honestly, it's not too far away from universalism. It's it is really it's really close. That's why I wanted to combine the the two heretical yeah. nonsense. I wasn't expecting all those similarities. Mm-hmm. All right, so Matthew. I shouldn't have laughed sort of did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna laugh every time Matthew says something because universalism just cracks me up. I literally can't help it. So universalism is the the next topic uh, of view of hell, and so these, in my opinion. Uh, is definitely more the liberal approaches. You got obviously the Catholic view of purgatory, which is a very orthodox view, and and I, I and I, I can't wait because I mean, with guns loaded, man. It, it's mean, it's very interesting. I, I found it because because universalism is very early. It's very early, if I'm not correct. It's like 200. Our boy Augustine was the Augustine. I know origin at least origin of uh, uh, Alexandria. So I mean, and I think if I remember my my research showed that Bede had some debatable, not confrontation, but more of, because they're obviously hundreds of years apart, but yet he wrote some essays or articles or whatever uh, against Origen and Augustine's universalism. So, Matthew, give us our, our, our second view of hell. We're all universalists, all right? Take I mean, back. that's just the rules. Mason? Get that negative speech out of here. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to report you for hate speech. <laughs> Isn't... Aren't we all universalists to, to sin, though? Is sin not universal? It's the, the fall? Sure. Why not? That sin spreads out. You know, the first the first Adam, he caused the fall, or maybe Eve, if you want to be really pedantic about it. But <laughs> the fall <laughs> occurred, and uh, original sin affects all. You you can't escape it. It's, it's inescapable. We're all, we're, all, we're all dead to sin. That's fact. True. So with a... With that in mind, let me read Romans chapter 5, verse 18. I don't like when he gets like this. Really. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like that I'm real cocky because I got truth on my side. <laughs> oh, please. So th- I said that I was going to do this as though I completely believe it. I'm a, un- I'm a universalist for the next, like, you're, 30 minutes. You're <laughs> I'm going to so with everything I just said uh, in regards to we are all universalists when it comes to sin, which let, say I if you believe that. Yeah. I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. Universally sinful. I will yeah. use "ist" on something. Like okay. Universally right. sinful. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just so dogmatically got him a, on a technicality. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm trying to keep an open mind here. Okay. Convince so, me. Keep, keep, keep that in your mind. <laughs> keep that in your mind. Romans chapter five, verse eighteen. So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. Tanner, give us those magic words. <laughs> you can close it right there. Okay. Mic drop. Like, that's it. So, uh, the hinge of the theory of universalism, which is the belief that, that all dogs go to heaven, and we are dogs. Uh, <laughs> no, well, ev- everyone will go to heaven. Now, I didn't say that no one will go to hell. Everyone will go to heaven. That is universalism in, in a nutshell. A lot of it hinges on the belief that Christ's blood is sufficient to cover all sin. I, okay. Hot yeah. take? Hot take? So Christ's blood is sufficient to cover it's all sufficient, sin? Yeah. Absolutely. All sin? Yeah, there's no way so it's, like, it's, it's, it's almost future. like you're agreeing 
with what the opposite of purgatory like okay so christ's blood isn't enough but yet here you're saying it is enough okay i agree i agree yeah yeah, yeah. so uh let's take it a step further take a trip over to second corinthians chapter 5 uh, verses 18 through 20 it says everything is from god who has reconciled us to himself through christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in christ god was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Now, I could use a lot of different scriptures to get these, this first point across of the idea that Christ's blood is sufficient for all sin, past, present, and future, uh, because that's, that is a theme in scripture. It is an undeniable fact that Christ's blood is sufficient for all sin, past, present, and future. I can say it till I'm blue in the face, it will become no less true. That is a fact. We believe that. So the big hitch when it comes to universalism um, that I'm sure everyone at this table is sitting here thinking, like, when's he going get to get to it? When's he going to address this elephant in the room? Well, here's the elephant in the room. The idea that there are people that aren't accepting Christ, that aren't choosing to believe in Christ, why, 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 are, they go, why, are, why are they going to heaven? How does that work, Matthew? Like this whole idea that... You seem to have implied that people do go to hell, but then they go to heaven. Like, what? what's the crux here? So let, let's, let's play around with that for a bit. Let's go straight to John 3.16. Let's, let's, just, <laughs> let's address the, just the armored, nuke-laden elephant chilling right here in the room with us. John 3.16 is a, is a problematic verse for the modern universalists because the second you try to imply that everyone's going to go to heaven, the most popular verse in the Bible <laughs> seems to uh, nay say that quite a bit. So, uh, you know what, Mason? Since you uh, you hate universalism so much, how about you give me uh, John three sixteen? Give me the KJV version for good measure. For God so loved the world. Oh, the world, the world, everyone. <laughs> oh, should I keep going? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, you already scripture. proved me right. Jeez, the but longer that you're quoting scripture, the less Matthew is talking and listening. It, so, I mean, just give us a, a synopsis of all of John chapter three while you're at it. Christ and Nicodemus, the whole conversation. Let's just go. The tree. We want to go. Not the tree. That one. For Christ so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, there's the King James for you, and him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So if they, if they don't choose to believe in them, what happens? Bro, I, I, you can't ask me to quote something like that and actually go back and remember because I'm just trying to remember. What. It starts with a P. St- starts with a P. Ends parish. in Irish. Okay. Parish. Parish. Well, we you and... use that word. Use that word, no, yeah. but I don't think you. I don't think it means what you think it means, buddy. Have Have you gone back to the Greek here lately, Mason? Because uh, parish comes from uh, the Greek word. Alumai, probably butchering that, but I'm not a native Greek speaker, so forgive me. Uh, God will, He will, <laughs> which means to terminate, kill, or destroy. Makes sense, right? You know, perishing, going, going to hell, being annihilated, like that. It makes sense, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Well, there, there's one problem here because that same verb is used in a certain parable. The parable of the prodigal son. Bless him. Except it gets it gets translated to lost for some reason. Like, what? How, how does that make sense? It, it doesn't always mean perish. It doesn't always mean to, uh, to be destroyed. It doesn't always mean to terminate or to kill. It, it can also just mean loss. Matthew, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to say here? You, you're trying to say that maybe John 3.16 isn't saying that uh, people are going to go to hell for, for not believing in, in Jesus. What? What are you saying? 
What are you saying? Here, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. A lot of things are implied in the Bible. The Trinity is implied in the Bible. We believe in the Trinity, right? That's just implied. It's not spelled out in black, white, and red, right? It's implied, right, John? I, I 60% agree with you, right? Now. All right, this is fine. This is so comical. Like it's, I'll take it. I'll take it. Better than the zero percent I've agreed with you for the last five years. So. <laughs> Roll on. You're, you're getting, you're getting closer. I mean, you're about to take it and turn it for the worst, but it's, it's fine. <clears throat> I get it. Why is this funny? Because it's so stupid. See, every time he brings it up, I can't oh my it. gosh. Okay, sorry. I'm 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 trying I'm trying, yeah, dude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you. I'm, I'm trying. Continue. Right. No, I'm good. I'm just saying that yeah, like I'm, it, I'm you're. you're I, okay. I will I will agree with this. Your presentation of this oh, to bad. someone to someone that is weak, someone that does doesn't understand exactly about God's grace or doesn't know really is kind of like a, a very fresh new Christian. The way you're presenting it, yeah. I mean. No, absolutely. You've, yeah. you've done a great job of articulating the argument really well. Yeah. And, like, frankly, like, like, very honestly, better than I would have because I just can't separate that out in my mind to, like, I can't detach from, I don't know, I can't play yeah. the role. Yeah, okay. So you just I mean? throw, throw, throw the ball. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the point where I'm at risk of losing my train of thought, so I definitely need to continue now. So going, going back to things being implied, like the yeah. Trinity. We yeah. believe in the Trinity, but it's not spelled out in black, white, and red. It is implied through Scripture. Is it said in a single time in Scripture that people can't make decisions while in hell. The really only kind of conversation that you see of an individual thinking or processing through hell is through a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. So the conversation with that, I mean, basically... You, you can't that also goes back to the conversation of like well we'll later talk about the eternal conscious torment and conditionalism is that well is that a parable or is that a legit story uh so with that being said if you say that that's a real story then you might as well said that jesus had peanut butter crackers on the the table with the last supper because it's like well it's it, jesus always spoke in parable uh nearly so it's like why would not, yeah i was about to say nearly like nearly yeah. uh but like why would we say that this is one incident instance where he did not speak in parable so just continue on that thought i mean i'm curious where you're going so unless you want to take a parable literally which you're welcome to do i know there are yeah. plenty of people that, that would do that and i'm not gonna just i'm not not calling y'all heretics i'm i'm over here trying to be as confidently her heretical as i can be <laughs> <laughs> it's so entertaining but there is no literal example in scripture giving us reason to believe that people can't make conscious decisions while in hell so if christ's blood covers all sinners past present and future why is it that the hell would prevent you from being able to make that profession of faith? Can I propose an idea? Absolutely. Too far into either one of mine or John's uh, discussions? Push it. Please do. Do it. Um, <laughs> just like it John's so. <laughs> just to so shut him up. I'm so locked into Mason right he now. Was, he was. <laughs> so Matthew Thompson is to my left. Mason is straight in front of me, and I'm not looking to side. So he was not ready. Straight at Mason. Straight in the face because I just cannot stand it. It's kind of bad. John was not prepared. Personally, he's he's playing a role here. It's just I can't I can't get myself a out role of player story. at the mags here. I can't get myself out of the story. John was not ready for the swagger I was going to bring into this. I mean, yeah, like Conor McGregor, a ring walk right here. <gasps> no joke. <laughs> Flopping his arms around like wet fish. Right. Okay. So here's my proposal. Anyway. Yeah. It is. Um, as to why they wouldn't be able to make that decision. Not that they couldn't make it consciously, because, anyway. Um, 
but just because of that fact of hell like the purpose of hell is that God's presence is not there and that's a fair statement. So, I, I say yeah. that knowing full well that's probably what you were going to say. Yeah, so like that that would be my retaliation or response Ooh. to that. Ooh. It's just... I, I, I'm 180 degrees in the opposite direction. This is so surprising. Really? Yeah, God's presence is all over hell. Absolutely, it's just full wrath. It's oh my gosh! I, 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 I agree that, I, yeah. But, but I mean, like, but God's... presence. No. Or his like, his okay. literal presence, no, exactly. His literal presence is there. He's actively judging everybody. There. I agree with both of that, so though. many air horns in this episode. No, I... <laughs> that's so odd. I've never thought about that, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I totally <laughs> agree with Mason. Yeah, I totally agree with both of y'all, but I've never thought about it because God's wrath is yeah. present. Absolutely. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist in the... Like, like again, this is... This is kind I of going get back what to, you're saying, Yeah. and I agree enough to pass... 60% water. I've made them fight but, with each other. You test with us. But I'm, I, like, what's holding me from, like, saying yes is, is enough for me to just say I can't agree. Like, just, uh, like, you're right. Like, if it wasn't yeah. for, like, God creating that, I mean, then yeah, what but, would it be? Right. But my, my thing is that, and I probably should hold this off to our subject. I don't know. But we'll go, go with Go ahead it. and drop it here. I'll get people in the next episode. Yeah, right. Yeah. Here we go. Here's your wow. snippet into sure. Mana John's Old part. Um, like, his goodness is obviously not there. Like, yeah. in his grace. Of course not. So, like, how would they be able to accept that? Like, I get, okay, so I get your big point that's saying, like, God's okay. practice. I, get, I totally I get, get that. I yeah. totally get that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I'm not going to argue that fact. But like his grace, and I think we, I think we both will agree that his grace is not, is not present. Right. So, how would they be able to accept? That? Understood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How would they be able? I mean, they might not understand it because their conscience, but from like, if well, depending on what your definition of conscience is, I understand. Sure. But like, if they were to be conscious from Earth, they might have that. Uh, Remembrance, remembrance, remembrance of, of you know grace there, um, but in hell, like where there is no grace, like how would you be able to accept what's not there? Well, so I I agree with you on, on your second point, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely, they can't choose, you know, to to the fault because that's the, the parable that Jesus gives, be it historical or uh, esoteric, as Jesus liked to do uh, in speaking of parables. So you have the sinner that's in hell, that's looking up to heaven, that's wanting something different. So you have this idea of consciousness and experience that's there. But do you really have choice if it's not granted, right? So he's, he's trying to choose mm -hmm. to get to heaven. He's trying yeah. to choose something different. He's, uh, Lord, even if I have to stay here, would you, would you send somebody down here to, to, to bring me some relief? No, no, right? You still have that conscious ability to try to choose, but of course that wish is not granted. Like you're talking so, about, we're talking about the parable of the rich man and last. Yeah, story, exactly. okay, yeah. that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the only one that's very similar, but I still wanted to make sure. Yeah, no, no, um, no, of course. I'm just not being very specific. <clears throat> yeah, for God's sake, but yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and, and, and the fact that he wants someone to go back and speak to his family, and that's not granted. Like right, nothing, exactly. nothing he yeah. requests is granted. Right. My interjection is, what is the purpose of that parable? I mean, they could be. It depends what. You want I think the purpose of that parable is another. Uh, so Jesus speaks about hell, but relatively right. I mean, you, you and I are uh, we're on the same page that hell doesn't pop up just all over Scripture, right? But um, relatively speaking, Jesus speaks about hell kind of frequently, as far as the New Testament goes. The most concentrated mm -hmm. 
usage. He, he talks about, about destruction. A place that one might be well, he talks about destruction. He, he more talks yeah, about yeah, yeah, like no, the no, final. What I mean, what I mean by finality. Just like you know, here. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to state that this is the definition, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah, when, yeah. when I'm saying that, what I mean is that judgment, that consumption, that whatever, um, whatever you want to appropriate to it. But when he's talking about that, I think he's trying to paint the picture, if you will, of that place. And so he's using this, if it's a parable or if it's real or either way, he's describing the environment of misery in which this person is now thrown due to their sin. So that's the purpose of that parable is, is again, like it's for the same reason, I guess, that he would describe it any other way. For the same reason that he would use the word Gehenna. For the same reason that he would, you know, talk about wheat and chaff. Uh, for the same, you know, on and on and on. Um, it's just another method of him using that, whether it be metaphor, whether it be real. Uh, I mean, he's God. He could certainly have seen that and been relaying literal historical event. Um, it was with parables. It could easily have been parable. I, I don't have a big dog in that fight. You know, yeah. I mean, which I, I mean, parables had different applications all the time, anyways. Well, yeah, but but even if this is whether this is parable or not, I think yeah. that it still has the same meaning. Still has the same teaching uh it's still in scripture for the same reason i don't think it changes how you read it so are you saying that like that parable is like a definite like w- w- what's what's some biblical i need some more biblical evidence of why universalism is a good thing or is, well, is a my biblical implication is that the purpose of that parable is not to explain the logistics of hell and communication yeah. within it that's that's not the goal of the parable and i and i personally genuinely don't think that's the purpose of the parable now yeah. do i think that that information also can can be present in that parable without it being the main focus yeah but that's not what i'm talking about right now i'm yeah. talking about universalism so <clears throat> swagger back on scripture to his whatever <laughs> yeah i'm 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 just curious cuz uh, if if mine is pretty watery and weak i'm kind of curious of what how strong yours is let me hit you with a uh, mark chapter 9 verses 47 through 50 if your eye causes you to stumble tear it out it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into Gehenna, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Everyone's salted with fire. What? Everyone. What? Now, what does this mean? What am I supposed to get out of this, Matthew? How does this this deal with universalism, you might be asking, dear listener-elect? What? You sound so confident, Matthew. Surely universalism is the real way to go. Tell me why. I'll tell you why. Hell is a redemptive process. Okay, so that's basically... um, Hell is punishment. Okay. He's, he's trying so hard to mic drop that his mic's on a stand. So, <laughs> well, I gotta edit this, so I'm trying to, I don't want to make life harder for me. Hell is punishment. So what happens when the punishment's done? What happens it's never over. when the sins have been answered <laughs> for? Because last time I checked, the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover the sins of everyone, past, present, and future. So you really mean to tell me that once you yeet someone down into hell, suddenly that sin is infinite and can't be covered, can't be finished, can't be aptly punished? Gosh, like, the the thing is, though, all because it sounds good doesn't mean that it is good. And that's the thing with, like, heretical statements and heretical doctrine is that all because it sounds good and it feels good, it sounds right, it must be right, doesn't mean that it is. Uh, I have a friend who actually is universalist. Really? Yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on, please. I'm sorry. Just, I want to say for the record, 100% turning off the, the swagger. Tanner, 
I agree with you. I'm starting to wonder if I'm being too good at acting like I'm a universalist. So, <laughs> I was going to turn the corner okay. and like, agree with the, that you're, you're not believe, believing this. But okay, I might cut this out then, so you go. Yeah, no, so I have a friend who actually is a universalist, and where, where I see the differentiation here is that, Matthew, I know that you're playing a role here. You're, you're presenting a case, you're a lecturer, a guest lecturer on this topic, right? Um, this is your hometown, but you're taking on a, a cool new little role here, trying to pitch <laughs> universalism in a way that sounds cogent so that we can point counterpoint. This is an example of conversations you have in real life. Mm-hmm. It's real, it's real. I have in real life. Yeah. Or with a, a friend of mine who actually is universalist. So, um, and, and it, here's, here's a statement that I feel like has been come back to by people who, who kind of buy this train of thought, is that, well, it just doesn't seem really consistent with God's character to <laughs> eternally punish. Gosh. To, no, 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 no. no so that's like, the thing. It's like, but God's wrath is part of his character. That's the thing right. that I agree with Mason no, 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 completely. No, no. I agree. Okay, I agree. I agree. The Go ahead. It, it makes enough sense that I think we need to consider it in order to counter it, right? Okay. So it, it's not consistent with God's character to eternally punish a finite Sin. It seems like a disproportionate reaction to the offense, right? So that that seems like the the big push. And again, Tanner, to go back to something you said, I think about twenty minutes ago was, you know, we we can't go off of just what feels right or good or you know what tastes good on our palate when we're, we're talking about yeah. theological things or scriptural things. We have to go back to what is true and established and typically historically held by the church. I mean, things change and for the better. I mean, look at the Reformation, but I mean. When it comes to something like universalism, that is an old teaching, universalism, just like Matthew explained. And it's one that's come in and out of vogue quite a bit. But when we're looking at Scripture, what does the Word of God say, right? I know he just gave some verses there, but, I mean, he would even say, I know I'm putting words in your mouth here, Matthew, but I know that you would even say that that's not obviously what those verses mean. I mean... They can be construed to mean that for the sake of debate. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I come back to this word extrapolation, right? What is the theme? What is the arc, the curve of Scripture? How do we grade upon that? Extrapolation is a statistical term that you use when you're looking at a, a linear graph or a bell curve, right? What are the things that are extrapolar outside of the poles of this data group? I think, And then you, when you look at universalism, you're doing that. You're taking this verses about hell and you are extrapolating them. You are putting mm-hmm. them outside of the poles of Scripture. I think it's interesting, too, that like the concept of universalism, I think this is taking the concept of our human understanding of what judgment and in, in, in sin and basically disobeying a holy, righteous God really boils down to. Because we yeah. think, we automatically think, well, you know, my sin, you know, I'm in, if, if I... Uh, Speed. I'm going to get a speeding ticket. If I do something even more, if I if I murder or do something drastic, I'm going to be put in prison for a finite certain amount of time. Yeah. And so we're automatically correlating the present uh, uh, man sin right. uh, to a more cosmic reality of sin. Right. And we don't. And I think that understanding is taking a very what sin has done to a cosmic scale to all of reality that has screwed up everything uh, that now you're taking it to like, well, it only does it for a little bit. And so it's very, to me, it's, there's not a lot of orthodoxy behind that. And if I'm not mistaken, Matthew, you can correct me if I'm wrong since you did the research, but universalism is definitely in the progressive camp with that conversation. Without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. So that is a definitely getting at is that this is a progressive ideology that's, you know, again, extra biblical and, hyper 
experientially driven. Plot yeah. twist, Mr. John Duncan. I've still got scripture left. Oh, oh no. no. But wait, there's more. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For this reason we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. See, you're taking... It, 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 it's all, all, always all automatically assuming if you say the word all, especially all nations, especially those who believe, there's an acknowledgement that there are people that don't believe that are included in that. It's just not especially them. Which is interesting because, like, the Jews? It, it could be anyone. In the, uh, there, there's two things. All right. So, one, your argument's false on your first line for this right here. Because if you're saying especially, that implies that those who do believe get a better reward. Yeah, because they don't have to go to hell for a time. Oh, well, okay. All right, fair point. Fair, fair individual point. You're looking yeah. at me now. I'm so proud of you, John. I know, I know. Uh, I, I, <laughs> He's moving. Like, this I'm, guy's good. I'm now willing to make eye contact with you, okay? The, don't get excited. Um, <laughs> Too late. <laughs> no, but the, th- the thing that I come kind of have come back to uh, each time that you've made one of these uh, things, the uh, allegations, um, <laughs> I'm using like really aggressive language here. I'm trying not to. Uh, Any time that you've every disgusting point that you've yes. made. No, no. no. Any time that you brought up one of these verses uh, in this universalist light, um, which again, uh, I know that you, you're not actually trying to herald here, but this is for the sake of discussion. I, I really do come back to the conversations that you have with people. Usually go like that, right? But is Christ's blood, is his sacrifice, and his ability to atone sufficient and capable? of covering all absolutely scripture says it is and that's what every verse that you've read is talking about it's talking about ability not about how it's directed not about how it is uh applied its application is limited all right yeah, its direction is limited and that's why universalism is a slippery slope because you get into these words and you say all and you think that it means yeah what it, yeah yeah, you, yeah you think that it's linear right you think that exactly oh, well it just means all because it says all right it's sufficient for all. It is powerful enough for all, absolutely, because God eternal sacrificed himself on a, on a, on a rugged cross, right? Absolutely. All right, we, we can talk about atonement theory all day. Again, uh, this is another episode. But I think that when you look at capability <coughs> versus availability, right? yeah. well, and, and even that's not true because it is available to all if we would accept it. But when you're looking at how it's available versus how it's directed, how it's purposed, it's not purposed for all. Christianity is very exclusive. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have made a metaphor, a parable about there being a narrow mm-hmm. road. Well, it kind of goes, it parallels to even with the, the sovereignty of God. Like, God is so sovereign and in control of everything. And yeah. God is, his ability is pure yeah. and holy and just. And that's what, basically this whole this, this whole episode of universalism and purgatory is that, guess what? He works. He What he does, he does it right. There's not yeah. one thing that he half does. Like, he does it good. Absolutely. So with that being said, you know, with the sovereignty, even with like the, you know, the, the creationism uh, conversation too, it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter as, as long as God is in control. And the same thing with the atonement. It's like, you know, God has done it all. So it's like, what the heck does we have to have to have this conversation about? It's good to talk about because there are people that have this conversation and have twisted scripture to fit their progressive ideology that, that that their Jesus is a little bit more palatable yeah. to uh, their taste, right. yeah. for sure. Yeah. My, uh, my finishing thoughts on my defense of universalism, which I don't personally believe in. There we go. Cat's out of the bag. The reason... Yeah. The, there is a very real reason besides just being comedy relief 
that that I came in just guns bla- blazing, fists a swinging, mm-hmm. like swagger out the wazoo. Like that, that there was a, a reason behind that. I came out here with confidence, using verses that I could have poked holes in just as well as you guys actually did. Which yeah, good job, good job by the way. <laughs> Uh, but what I want to drive home is people can make scripture sound a lot of different ways. There is an immeasurable value to being rooted in scripture because it is very easy to take scripture that sounds like it means what you are saying it means. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very difficult to disagree with that person unless you are firmly rooted in scripture so much that you can go, now hold on, the context of that is a little off. Hold on, I think there's a reason you started in verse 15. That's a really good verse point. Verse 13. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a solid point. Yeah, and that's one reason why, like, this is, I mean, this is a season finale, two parter, but I mean, this is one reason why we're here is that, like, there's more to scripture than just words on a page. Exactly. You know, and there, we got to understand and break it down. And, like, this is our process of understanding it further, even though, I mean, behind the curtain, that we have talked about this for, you know, <laughs> a couple years, to be honest. I mean, this is a long process of just conversation about hell uh but like this is something that we as christians need to be gung-ho about of like okay let's 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 look at this let's look at what scripture says the bible is a cohesive narrative it's not a series of proofs that you can use because you want to prove certain things to be true it's not the bible's mission to explain to you exactly what hell is but it does tell you what hell isn't so I think that's something that's very important to keep in mind because, again, uh, I believe, John, you or Tanner brought it up, that this is a cornerstone belief of progressive Christianity, yes. which is gaining some steam because it's very palatable. It's a very easy theology mm-hmm. to grab a hold of. It's a very feel-good theology. And I I got a feeling it's going to gain steam with time because it's it's different. For one, it's got that, that new religion feel to it, yeah. and it still uses the Bible, right? So it, it, it's good. It's true, right? We need to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared to tell them, like, listen, you, you need to read, read the whole Bible. Don't just look yeah. at these parts that your preacher told you mean this one thing exactly. because your preacher is not God. Yeah. Yep. Hopefully you have a preacher that is well-versed in Scripture and therefore will give you that context and equip you so you won't be in this situation. But you, the listener, listener-elect, you need to be rooted in Scripture. You need to be able to, when given these very uh, swagger-filled filled, filled arguments by someone such as myself playing this role, you need to be prepared to be like, okay, you're, you're, you sound very confident, and you said things that make sense to the rational mind. But it's not about my rational mind, it's about what Scripture says. Now, you may be asking, the, the listener, you may be asking, well, why is this dangerous? I mean, it's it's hell. It's, I'm a Christian. It's not like I have to worry about. I mean, I'm not too concerned about these conversations, because well, I'll be in the presence of God anyways. Here's how it can be an issue. The purgatory conversation when you obtain and you subscribe to the idea that God's grace and what he did on the cross isn't enough, then you are thwarting his ability to do his job. And that, that's an affront to an almighty God. Absolutely. And so this is why it's good to have these conversations. And we need to get to the second episode because I, this, this is, it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'm I'll done. be honest. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one reason that this is a conversation that needs to be had because this is a character of God. God's wrath, just like Mason said, like this is who God is. So this is why it needs to be talked about. This is why we're having this because, I mean, God's wrath. No one wants to talk about this because it's the, the the hard part. It it it, it sucks. No one wants to, to uphold God's wrath and 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 see it and have that placed upon him. But guess what? 
it's part of his nature. It's part of his character. So we got to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So that that concludes part one of this two part season finale. We've talked about universalism and we've talked about purgatory. And hopefully you've you've learned something. Hopefully you've you've been convicted one way or the other. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully, if anything, you are more convinced than ever before that you need to be well-rooted in Scripture because that's what we do here on Cross Training. We look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. As always, you can find our socials in the in the show notes. You can email us. Uh, it's all there. The information's there. And until next time when we talk about our next two views on hell, Tam, give us those magic words. Peace out.